Hey, Disney fans, looking for the latest in Disney news? And interviews with some of Disney's biggest stars? Well, have we got the podcast for you. Welcome to D23 Inside Disney. I'm Jeffrey from D23. I'm Sherry from Oh My Disney. And I'm Tony from Good Morning America. And together, we're taking you Inside Disney. Hello, hello, and I'm pretty much just saying hello, hello to me. Well, and to all of you out there, because, hey, it is Jeffrey. I am here. We have just wrapped up Destination D23 here at Walt Disney World Resort in Florida. And Sherry and Tony decided to go take vacations. I mean, how dare they not want to hang out with me and record a podcast when they're on vacation? I don't understand this. Anyway. What a weekend it was at Destination D23 presented by Tops. I do want to thank our friends at Tops. They offered some really cool experiences and, and really it was thanks to them that we were able to bring such an incredible event to so many fans here and live stream it to so many of you. And a huge congratulations to the incredible team, Mike Vargo, who leads D23, Nan, Mitch, Alex, Paula, Justin, Julie, Jocelyn, Derek, Bruce, everyone. Thank you all so much for working so hard to provide an incredible, incredible experience for our fans. And speaking of the fans, thank you to everyone who stopped and said hi to me. It was so great to meet and see so many of you back at a, a real in-person event. That was just amazing. And it meant a lot to me and I know to everyone. So big announcements out of Destination D23. So many incredible things. An incredible night of music from Encanto. And of course, speaking of Encanto, today we have not one, but two guests in what I can only say are two epic interviews. Stephanie Beatriz, who is the lead voice actress of Mirabelle in Encanto, and just a lovely person and a huge, amazing Disney adult. She, she calls herself a Disney adult fan. And I'm like, of course. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. And another epic Disney fan, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who wrote the songs for Encanto, both coming on the podcast. So stay tuned. They have some great stories to share. Oh, and I should note that Sherry was able to join for the Lin-Manuel Miranda interview. So you will hear Sherry there, though she is not actually with us doing the news today. Back to Destination D23 and some of the epic announcements. Well, first, Mike Vargo previewed a little taste of what is in store for guests at D23 Expo when we really start celebrating Disney 100 and, and revealed the very cool logo as we celebrate 100 years of wonder. And everyone there got a poster with that too, which I thought was very cool. And speaking of 100 years, the Walt Disney Archives exhibit, it was revealed at D23 Expo, we'll be celebrating 100 years of the Walt Disney Company, and we'll give guests a taste of what they're going to enjoy when their epic touring exhibit begins in 2023. Now, there were a ton of announcements from Disney Parks experiences and products. Josh Tomorrow had a killer panel. It would take me three podcasts to recap everything he talked about, showcased a few of the highlights, at least for me, finding out Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind is opening summer 2022. And Glenn Close is a part of the attraction reprising her role as Nova Prime. So uh, you can watch that video on d23.com uh, on the wrap-up story from the Parks panel. Incredible. Uh, they showed some really cool photos of Avengers Campus coming together. I cannot believe it's going to open next summer at Disneyland Paris. And it looks just unbelievable. Anyone who knows me, which is anyone probably listening to this podcast, knows I love a Disney cruise. The Disney Wish premiering two new shows. They'd already announced that Aladdin would be one of the shows in the Walt Disney Theater. They announced the two other shows, 
Disney, The Little Mermaid, which is going to be a modern take on a young girl learning the power of her voice uh, with some very, very uh, cool updated arrangements to some of our favorite songs. And in fact, there was a live performance of Poor Unfortunate Souls with this really cool jazz beat. It just was amazing. Yeah, I, I cannot wait to see that. And Disney Sees the Adventure which is a, a new show that follows Goofy as he discovers his own inner captain with the help of Captain Minnie. And of course, an all-star cast of Disney and Pixar characters. All right, many of us Disney fans love the Society of Explorers and Adventurers and the, the fun details that the Imagineers have now put in parks all around the world. Well, a new book series is going to be launching from Disney Publishing. It, it, that sounds incredible. That will be launching in 2022 in April. Josh showed some great new video and photography from Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. And yes, he brought that lightsaber out on stage and it looks as real as any lightsaber I ever have seen in any of these Star Wars films or series. So can't wait to see how that comes to life. Also showcase some really great new art. From the Frozen theme land that's coming to Hong Kong Disneyland, the Zootopia land coming to Shanghai, Fantasy Springs, which is coming to Disney Sea, and some great art from the Connections Cafe and Eatery, which is going to be in the World Celebration neighborhood of Epcot, the new restaurant sort of in the area where the electric umbrella used to be. Plus, he also announced the return of Fantasmic to Walt Disney World and Disneyland Resort. Huge crowd pleaser there, including me, who was cheering because I love that. And then later, uh, Tom Vazana, who's a, who's a great pal and works with Disney Live Entertainment, he got into a little bit more detail on some of the entertainment and revealed that there's going to be a new segment added to the Walt Disney World Fantasmic. Not a lot of details were revealed, but I remember when they did that incredible update and digitization of Fantasmic a few years ago and how great that was adding some new characters into the mix. And I, I, that's great. So I cannot wait to see what they add. No word yet on if it's coming to Disneyland, but we will definitely let you know if it is. And the Cinderella Castle Forecourt stage show is coming back and it's a little updated and it's got a slightly new name, Mickey's Magical Friendship Fair. Can't wait for that. Festival of Fantasy coming back to Magic Kingdom, World of Color coming back to Disney California Adventure. It's just so exciting to see the parks really just come back to life in such an incredible way. We were, you know, the, there were many tears in the audience, a lot of excitement. In big D23 news, Michael Vargo announced a whole fleet of events coming in 2022. Of course, we know the biggie is D23 Expo coming September 9th, 10th, and 11th, and tickets go on sale in January. We're going to have more details about that coming in January. But for D23 members, Walt's Marceline coming back, a trip in person for guests to go to Walt's hometown of Marceline. And many of you know, Dave Smith is getting a window dedicated to uh, his incredible work at Disneyland on Main Street USA. And on January 24th, we're going to be celebrating his life and legacy with an event with gold members during park hours. And returning to the Disney studio lot, I think we've talked about this before. I've been lucky enough to be back working on the lot. But in January, we're going to be able to have some guests back on the lot. January 29th, we're going to be celebrating Bedknobs and Broomsticks 50th anniversary on the lot. Looking forward to that, seeing members there. And of course, resuming our studio tours. We'll be doing a Galactic Member Mixer at Star Wars Celebration, which is going to be at the Anaheim Convention Center this year. 
and celebrating some fan favorite anniversaries like Lilo and Stitch, Hercules, Aladdin, and the Muppet Christmas Carol, doing some nights with Disney theatrical productions of The Lion King and Frozen on tour, and much, much, much more. So you can visit d23.com for more of those details. And speaking of our studio tours, where you get to visit the Walt Disney Archives, a lot of you know the Archives had an incredible exhibit at the Bowers Museum, which is now currently at Graceland inside the Walt Disney Archives. All that glitters is coming to the Bowers Museum in December. And Walt Disney Archives director Becky Klein, who was there and just terrific on stage at multiple presentations, she announced that the Heroes and Villains exhibit, which is currently at the Museum of Pop Culture in Seattle, will make its next stop at the wonderful Henry Ford Museum in Dearborn, Michigan, coming there June 25th, 2022, and running until January 1st, 2023. So that was great. So a lot of incredible news out of Destination D23. That was just the Destination D23 news that broke. But there was other news this week or last week, believe it or not. Freeform announced its January premieres, Single Drunk Female, which I'm guessing is probably not for children, will debut on January 20th at 10 p.m. The return of Grownish comes right after that. Can't wait. ABC announced the return of Jimmy Kimmel and Norman Lear's Emmy winning live in front of a studio audience. And they are doing the facts of life and different strokes. So this 80s kid is very, very excited. It will feature John Lithgow, Kevin Hart, Damon Wayans, and Dowd. The rest of the cast coming later. Cannot wait for that. That will be airing Tuesday, December 7th. Disney's branded television just greenlit Haley's On It, which is a new animated comedy adventure series featuring one of my favorites, and I, I got to interview her years ago, Moana's Ali'i Cravayo, voicing the title character about this young woman who's a little bit risk-averse but resourceful on a mission to complete every item on her long list of challenging and sometimes impractical tasks in order to save the world. I mean, if I had a penny for every time I had to do that. That is slated to debut in 2023. But you now you know what it's time for. And I have no one to say it's snack time or holiday time, but it's time for five fantastic things to watch this weekend, courtesy of our friends at D23, the official Disney fan club. For complete details, visit D23.com. Up first is Santa Claus is coming to town. I'm so sad Sherry is on vacation. Otherwise, she would have her little holiday corner here on November 26th, Friday at 8 p.m. on ABC. A beloved Rankin Bass production returning. Love that. We'll definitely be watching. Also on Friday is the premiere of The Beatles Get Back from director Peter Jackson on Disney+. Plus. That is three nights of incredible footage that has been unseen. And also on Friday, a special premiere on Hulu, Madagascar, A Little Wild Holiday Goose Chase. I feel like that title says it all. On Sunday, I cannot wait to tune into the wonderful world of Disney Magic Holiday Celebration on ABC with Derek and Julian Huff, Ariana DeBose serving as hosts. You're going to get to see another sneak peek of the Galactic Star Cruiser, a trip on board the Disney Wish, performances by Kristen Chenoweth, Darren Chris, Nora Jones, Gwen Stefani, and more. That's always one of my favorites, that and the, and the Christmas Day Parade. Anyone else love that? Hit me up on the socials. I want to know. And on Sunday, definitely not full of holiday cheer. The Hot Zone Anthrax premieres on National Geographic starring Daniel Day Kim and Tony Goldwyn. That's at 9 p.m. So on to the first of today's amazing guests for Disney. This talented actor has appeared or her voice has in Elena of Avalor, Modern Family and DuckTales. And she steps onto center stage, well, the center of the frame, as Mirabelle in Walt Disney Animation Studios' new film, Encanto. Please welcome to the show, Stephanie Beatriz. Oh, thank you for having me. 
Yay. All right, because we are a podcast for Disney fans and we know many of our listeners may have already seen Encanto because we are the true fans. But if you had to give a one sentence description, if that's possible, what would it be? It would be Mirabelle, the only ordinary member of an extraordinary family, realizes that her family's magic may be in danger and she's probably the only one that can save it. Pretty good. I love it. All right. And like cliffhanger and then we go. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Can you talk a little bit about what the audition process was like for you? Oh, yeah. Oh, I was so nervous. I was so <laughs> nervous about this audition because I'm a huge Disney fan too. And so when I heard that Disney Animation was doing an animated film set in Colombia with Lin-Manuel Miranda writing music and Jared and Byron and Charisse writing and directing it, I was so excited to get an audition. Just to get the audition alone was like, please, please let it happen, you know? <laughs> and then I actually sang for the audition. I sang You're Welcome from Moana. And I sang for Jared and Byron on a Zoom call, I believe. And then, you know, we just sort of talked about Disney a little bit, talked about Disney stuff and how much I love it. And before I let them go on the on the audition, I sort of said, you know, before we, before we go, because I didn't know if that was going to be it, right? I had to tell them how much I loved Zootopia and Tangled and sort of talked about that and how important I thought those films are because I didn't know if I was ever going to see them again, you know? And then I got a call back and I recorded some scenes of Mirabelle's scenes that have been written that aren't really in the film, but I improvised a lot in those <laughs> audio recordings because I thought, you know, from the things that I've read and experienced doing voiceover, a lot of times improv can help the animators sort of get to know your character better. Whether or not that improv makes it into the movie or not, that's a whole nother thing. But I think for the animators that are listening to your voice, it can give them insight into how you might play this character and what you might bring to the table. So yeah, that was the process. And then I got a second callback and it was a fake out because during the second callback, they sort of told me that I'd gotten it. And I burst into sort of like tears after I hung up. I was so excited. I like, it really does feel, still feels like a dream come true. How did you relate to Mirabelle? I mean, how did I not relate to her is a better question. I feel like she is the closest to me of any of the characters that I've ever played. She often uses comedy in situations where she feels like she's not in Mm. control or doesn't really know what to do. She kind of takes the air out of things by using comedy. She's very direct. She's actually really brave and she really desperately wants the approval of the people that she loves. Mm. And I get that. I definitely get that. I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling. Well, and Mirabelle's also the first leading Disney heroine to wear glasses, which I believe is something you have in common. Yes, we do. I also wear glasses most of the time. I am wearing contacts now, but oh, I have an obscene amount of glasses, actually, because I love different kinds of glasses frames. So Mirabelle and I have that 100% in common. I love that. I love a little representation there. All right. Something I loved about the film is that Mirabelle did not need to go on a giant quest to get her answer. She's able to actually find everything within the walls of the magical madrigal home. How did that resonate with you? I mean, the metaphor of that is really beautiful, right? Like that everything you need is probably already there inside you, inside your experience of being a human, you know, it's all there already. And yet at the same time, you know, 
it's all inside the walls of the casita, the, the casita of the family Madrigal. But those walls are expansive and they hide <laughs> any secrets and they hide, they contain multitudes, multiple different kinds of worlds. In, in animation, I think they call it like world building. So mm -hmm. like when the animators are kind of creating what the look of the story is going to be, it takes a long, long time for them to develop those looks. You know, there's like scenic designers, production designers, tons of people deciding how those things look. And in this animated movie, there's multiple worlds that are inside the house itself, which is so special and, and strange and surreal. So like, yeah, there's there's lots of metaphors in this story. Like if you, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited for like 10 years from now for someone to write like a thesis about this film and sort of dissect all the really cool things that are in it because multiple layers exist in this movie. Hmm. And I didn't know how great you can sing. Like, had you sung your whole Me life? Me honey. <laughs> had you sung your whole life? I have been singing my whole life. And honestly, a lot of it was due to Disney animated films. My mom and dad worked a lot when I was a kid. And so my sister and I were often, you know, in the 90s, they called us latchkey kids, which meant like you'd have your key and you'd come home and you'd let yourself in and you, you know, do your homework and then watch TV. <laughs> LOL. You turn <laughs> on the TV immediately and pop in a Disney VHS tape. And that's what my sister and I did over and over and over. And so like, I've been singing Disney songs since I can remember. And I'd love to sing. I don't think I ever thought, you know, What's really cool about this movie is that if you had asked 12-year-old me if I could ever be a Disney heroine, I would have sort of been confused by the question because it wouldn't have made sense to me because, no, people like me aren't the heroes of the story. And then as I got older, I realized that, yes, I can be the hero of the story. I can absolutely be the hero of the story. And... The world is caught up with that idea. And I think now we're seeing so many different kinds of people be the heroes of the story. So it's really special to me to be following the footsteps of those characters and those incredible performances. Love it. So this right here, this is the publication called Disney 23 that D23 members yes. get. It's gorgeous and big and beautiful. And you did an interview for us for the issue that will be coming out in two weeks, and it's amazing. So expect to get one. And it, the cover is gorgeous. The uh, animation designed it just for us, which means only members get it. So wow. chef's kiss. Wow. But in that issue, you talk about the day after you got engaged, you went to Disneyland. Yes. What was that like? I want to know what that day was like. So many special things happened on that day. But I think the most special thing was being... I know it's going to sound cheesy, but you guys understand, right? Like you guys, out of everybody, you guys understand. We're Disney adults. We get it. Oh, yeah. So like being in the most magical place on earth after one of the most magical days in my life was surreal and beautiful. It felt like, you know, the whole park felt like it was like pulsating with joy just for me. And I know that's not necessarily true, but that's how I felt. I was wearing my button and it was like, we're celebrating our engagement, you know, and everyone right and left was like, congratulations, congratulations. It just felt like everybody in the park was part of my engagement party. It was really how I felt. I had my bachelorette there too. The entire bachelorette party was like, we took Disneyland by storm. It was so fun. I've had an amazing time. Now I'm a new mom and I'm so excited for 
my daughter to experience Disneyland for the first time. I can't wait to take her. She has her own little Disney onesie already. She's got Disney socks. Like we are a Disney family. Rosaline, right? Yes, that's right. That was going to be another question. You you must be preparing her to be a Disney fan, like getting her ready, lining up the old VHSs. Yeah, (laughs) 100%. I know she's like a newborn still, but I'm convinced that she knows the songs because I was pregnant during the recording of much of this. So I was actually like extremely pregnant when we recorded Waiting on a Miracle. And Lynn actually has talked about this, but like, we were recording that song. You know, that was for him one of the hardest songs to crack. And for me, it was the most challenging to sing because of the range of notes in it. And at the same time, I was like growing a full human who, you know, had a foot and an elbow in each one of my lungs. So it was really challenging. And we finished recording that song. You know, I was singing Waiting on a Miracle, as Lynn says, I'll take his quote, while I was myself waiting on a miracle. And then she came like two weeks later. Oh, yeah. Well, speaking of Lynn, you've known him a long time. He's also a big Disney fan. And we heard that you two had a bit of a Disney shorthand when you were working together. Oh, 100% we did. You know, there were things that he said to me during the sessions in the booth that, (laughs) like at one point, I think Jared was like, what did you just say? What? What did you just say to each other? (laughs) And we were like, don't worry about it. We got it. We got it. We got it. Because we know these movies inside and out. Like, for example, he was trying to give me a direction on one part of Welcome to the Family, Madrigal. He was like, you know, give it like a, uh, like Ursula when she's, and I was like, oh, yeah, body language, (laughs) right? And he's like, yes. And we both knew exactly what that meant. We knew because those songs have been played in our houses over and over and over and over and over. So you just like, it's like a touchstone, you know, in the Mm -hmm. same way, I think there's touchstones for all sorts of artists, like in Shakespeare, right? Like you've got the iambic pentameter and you know what it is. Iambic pentameter informs the story and it's always the same. There are variations obviously in every play and in every speech or whatever, but iambic pentameter is like a sort of, it's like this baseline, right? And the baseline for a lot of our speak was Disney speak. Hmm. You just mentioned this on the family Madrigal. When you have to do your second round through the entire thing, it's very, very fast. Did you have to do a lot of takes? And then did you call and yell at Lynn? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it was really fast. It was really fast. So fast that I had to strategically figure out where I was going to breathe. Otherwise, I was not going to make it through many of the stanzas in the song. So yeah, it's fast. It was amazing. I was very impressed. Thank you. Over the last year and a half, obviously, a lot of us had the opportunity to binge a significant amount of Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, was there a show or a movie that you really loved? And you can't say Hamilton because we all know that that just would be, you know, too yeah. nice to Lynn. No. You know, I really like the shorts. Huge fan of the shorts because I think the shorts give an opportunity to animators and filmmakers that haven't quite, you know, gotten that opportunity before. I've really enjoyed a lot of watching and sort of like binging the shorts this past year because you see all different styles. You see all different points of view. You see things that are really moving. I think that's the thing that, you know, I mean, we can all agree, like animation can be almost sometimes more moving than real life acting, right? Because like, there's just a different level that you can reach with animation. There's like some kind of like vulnerability magic. There's magic in animation. And like, it's really fun to see 
these kind of new voices come on the scene. So yeah, I would highly recommend the shorts. Yeah. Well, and the short before Uncanto, Far From the Tree is also yeah. wonderful. That's it's right. amazing how much they can pack into just a few minutes. I know. All right. Well, we know you're a Disney fan, so we'd love to ask about Disney favorites in a lightning round. Oh. So favorite Disney animated movie that is not Encanto? Uh, Little Mermaid. Ooh. Favorite Disney live action movie? Oh. Oh, I think the old Mary Poppins and the new Mary Poppins. I think those are both excellent answers. Favorite Disney character not from Encanto? Mm. The tie between Ariel and Sebastian. Oh, and a good pair they are. Favorite Disney song? Oh, I mean, the classic, A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes. Wow, going back to the OGs. I I love that. I really love love Baby Mine from Dumbo. It's so beautiful. It is. Favorite Disney Parks attraction? (laughs) How much time do you have? Um, I'm going to say, actually, my very, very favorite. Like, if someone said you can only ride this ride forever and ever and ever, it's Peter Pan. It's a great one. Going over Neverland. Favorite Disney parks snack. And I'm curious if that changed when you were pregnant and not pregnant. Oh, interesting question. Um, my favorite Disney park snack is probably a tie between the dill pickle popcorn in California Adventure in Cars Land and the churros. I love the churros. I love the seasonal churros too. Like the ones mm. you can get during the holidays or at Halloween. Those are really special and great. And I love that Disney's doing sort of more and more fun seasonal snacks that feel like a special treat that you can only find at the park during a certain time in the park if you're lucky enough to find the cart before they sell out. I love that stuff. I think that's fair. And we end every interview with this question. Favorite Disney memory? Oh my gosh. Okay, I have one. So I was lucky enough to have a friend make me a reservation at club 33 oh. on Christmas day. And I took my parents and it was so special because my parents are immigrants to the United States and they worked really, really hard to sort of make it possible for me to follow my dreams and eating dinner at club 33 on Christmas day with my parents felt so magical and it felt like such a special kind of moment to be able to give that to them in a way to sort of like thank you for trusting and believing in me that I could have a career in the arts and you know follow my dreams and yeah it just felt like the perfect perfect way to celebrate on Christmas day and it it, you know club 33 is an incredible place if you get to go there it feels so special and magical and Mm. you know to have my parents there with me was it was really special That's amazing. Stephanie, thank you so much. It has been delightful chatting with you. The movie is fantastic and you just add so much incredible shine to it. So thank you and um, congratulations. Thank you so much. Okay, Stephanie was awesome, but wait, there's more. 
This composer, writer, actor, director, and many more hyphenates is quickly becoming synonymous with Disney, having been a part of projects including Moana, Mary Poppins Returns, DuckTales, Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, Freestyle Love Supreme, the upcoming live-action reimagining of The Little Mermaid, and of course, Hamilton, which you can watch on Disney+, Plus. so we say that counts. He's also the composer of a fleet of enchanting new songs for Walt Disney Animation Studios in Kanto. Please welcome to the show, Lin-Manuel Miranda. I just put together the Freestyle of Supremes, I guess, part of the Disney family because of the Hulu doc. <laughs> Hulu. So exactly. I was today years old when I put that together. My goodness. <laughs> That's Welcome. what we're here for. Exactly. I mean, we just need a Marvel thing and then we and maybe a Pixar. We have so many boxes checked. Yeah. All right. First, we have to ask, do you ever sleep? I sleep a lot, and um, that's the only way I can get any of this done. I don't necessarily sleep consecutive hours in a night because I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and six-year-old has to be on the bus by 7.15 a.m. But, yeah, I have to sleep. Because I'm working on so much, I have to sleep even more because the good ideas actually get synthesized in your brain after you've gone to bed. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to bed with a musical problem on my brain and then the solution is just there when I wake up in the morning. That's actually when the good stuff's happening. Wow, amazing. Okay, well, we are all massive fans of your work, especially your work with Disney. Have you always loved Disney? Yes, I was asked what my first Disney memory is recently, and it's actually uh, not a movie, but a flip book. I had a flip book of, it was like original stills of Pinocchio hugging Geppetto, and then you flipped it, and it was Monstro swallowing the ship. That's like a really like three-year-old memory I have of Disney. But the movie that broke my brain open was Little Mermaid when I was nine years old. You know, Sebastian the Crab, began singing Under the Sea, and my world was never the same. I loved Disney, but all of the music, like, I associated with, like, Fantasia. Like, there were these, like, classic orchestral songs that always felt like they always existed. When you wish upon a star, a dream is a wish your heart makes. And here's a Calypso number, like, underwater, <laughs> that feels Caribbean. It truly, like, blew my mind. I was a exploding head emoji, and I have never <laughs> recovered. And, and I think it's as responsible because I remember memorizing that score, not the songs, the score. I can sing you the storm instrumental section. Like, I memorized the score. I saw it three wow. times in the theater. Wow. I used to get up on my desk and perform under the sea for my startled fourth grade classmates. I called in <laughs> sick from school the day Little Mermaid came out on home video because I was not about to wait until the end of the day to get that soft cartridge VHS case. So that was the movie and that was it for me from there on out. Wow, that's amazing. And I had one of those slow books when I was a kid, and I still have one of those slow books. Yeah, I, I have the, it. I bought the like fancy nine old men flip books that they sell Ooh, in the yeah. Disney store that's like the original nine animators and flip books of their greatest work. It's amazing. Wow. All right. The music for Encanto is wonderful. With so many projects, how do you write? Do you sit down and do you focus? Do you say, I'm going to work on Encanto beginning to end? I mean, with obviously the exception of changes that may need to get made so that you can then move on to the next? Or is it in Kanto one day, another project another day, another project another minute? Well, it's interesting. I do sleep, but I'm a terrible multitasker. I really do need to, you need the space to daydream when you're writing music. Stephen Sondheim called it crossword puzzle work in that you may know how many 
boxes you need to fill, but you have to kind of space out sometimes for the answer or the lyric or the melody to swim to the surface. And you go, well, you know, eight down, four letters. That's a lot of what songwriting feels like. But with this movie, the, the really fun challenge was Sharice and Byron and Jared and I really wanted to get a family up on screen. And I think you can tell from Disney movies, but all movies, so often we're so obsessed with the main character and what they're going through and their journey that other characters kind of fall by the wayside. And we said, no, we're gonna bring an entire intergenerational 12 character family to the screen and make the complexity of those relationships actually the story and navigating those relationships is the story. And that was really exciting to me from a songwriting perspective because the meat of it is our own family stories. And we all brought our own family stories and our relationships with our siblings and with our parents into the middle of the table. And that was our material. And being in there from the beginning made a huge difference to me because I was able to be really involved from a story standpoint. I think the person most responsible for the Disney animation renaissance is not an animator. It's Howard Ashman, who with Alan Menken mm. came to Burbank from New York and said, here are the things musical storytelling can do that with animation will be unstoppable. And there's an amazing video, I'm sure you guys have seen it because you, you're way more Disney than me, where he sits with the animators and beat by beat goes through fathoms below. We're gonna introduce the world. We're gonna show them the world that we're all familiar with above the sea. Then that fish gets away, it goes under the sea and that's where we're gonna like, and musically every moment and why we need it and what music can do that animation can't. And what music and animation can do together. And so I really wanted to get my Howard Ashman on and call dibs on how music could help tell the story. So to that end, the first song, uh, The Family Madrigal, we wrote that song before we knew how the movie ended. I just, oh, wow. I knew, I think we all knew, we got a lot of characters, they all have gifts, they all have magical gifts. The first thing we're gonna need to do is have Mirabelle introduce us to this world how everyone's related and what they can do. And then the delicious sort of story turn in it is, yeah, but Mirabelle, what do you do? And she goes, oh, I didn't want to talk about that. And we learn from a character perspective that she's actually the only one in that family without a magical gift. I wrote it knowing that the characters might change and their powers might change, and they did. But the structure and writing that early was really like a nice thing to put on the corkboard of like, okay, here's Mirabelle's sound and having like a badass lady with glasses playing an accordion was also just really exciting <laughs> and specific. And here's how proud she is of her family. And she actually introduces them twice because when they say, hey, Mirabelle, what do you do? She goes, uh, to recap. And then she tells you yeah. everyone's powers <laughs> again at double time speed. So it's sort of, again, underlining the, the story beats that we need, but also introducing this character unlike any you've ever heard. And then, you know, over the course of it, really being involved in where music could carry the ball in terms of the storytelling. Like I, I remember pitching We Don't Talk About Bruno and being like, there are stories you're not allowed to talk about at the dinner table, but you're talking about them with your family. They're just over here and they're over here and they're over here <laughs> on the side. Um, and so that was, and it was an opportunity to create musical themes for characters we knew we wouldn't have time to get solo songs for. So we get Dolores's voice, which is inimitable. We get Camilo's voice as he tells a ghost story and he's changing shape. So it was an opportunity to learn more about these characters musically and carve out some real estate for them. Wow. Well, some of the songs in Encanto either include or are in Spanish. Can you talk about why that was important to you? 
Absolutely. I think there, there's two songs in Spanish in the movie. One really came out as a happy accident. It's the song by the, you know, performed by the great Carlos Vives called Colombia Mi Encanto. And this actually happened because of the D23 announcement. <laughs> um, so D23 announces Encanto. Woo! And Here for the expo. The Amazing. only thing they do is show our beautiful Casa Madrigal, and you just hear, Colombia! Yay! Encanto. <laughs> And I went, um, I was very happy. People were excited about the movie. But I was like, hey, hey, guys, we never actually say the name of Colombia in this movie. <laughs> um, we've been there for years and we've been doing research and we have all of this, all of these Colombian artists and, and musicians working on the movie. But we never actually say it the way you just said it in the D23 announcement. So maybe we should have a song there. <laughs> and so wow. I got my... Carlos Vives on, and I wrote my best version of a Vallenato and wrote what my version of a Carlos Vives song. And then we were lucky enough that Carlos Vives loved the song and recorded it with his musicians uh, and his orchestra and brought it to a whole other level. And then the other song that's in Spanish is Dos Oruguitas, which is a moment where we reveal a pretty significant an emotional piece of the history of the Madrigal family. And it didn't feel right. Every other song in this movie is sung by a character in real time. That didn't make sense for this moment in the movie. It was, it's a flashback. And so I thought I really want it to feel like a folk song that has always existed, like a, a lost Colombian folk song. And again, this is where the give and take of collaboration in animation uh, is so important. I was so inspired by the visual imagery that our animators had created in turning the flame of the candle into a butterfly that then becomes mm. a miracle. And I just remember thinking, well, every butterfly is a miracle because they start as a caterpillar and they have to utterly transform their bodies to become their next selves. So I wrote a song called Dos Oruguitas, which means two caterpillars. It is about two caterpillars who are in love and they don't want to let each other go, but they have to let each other go because it's the only way they can become their next selves. And Aww. that Aww. nature metaphor is so much about where the Madrigal family is. They love each other, but they're all holding on too tight. And so that was a real breakthrough and some of the farthest out of my comfort zone I've been in terms of writing in Spanish. I had to really reach beyond my natural vocabulary in Spanish, which is more limited than my English vocabulary. But I was really proud of what came out and I was, and then again, the great Colombian musician Sebastián Yatra takes it to a whole other level with his vocals and his performance. Well, speaking of amazing vocals, Auli Cravallo, how far I'll go. It's become a, a massively iconic anthem. Do you ever get a feeling when you're writing something like that song, that a song is really going to resonate in, in a way that just blows up? Here's where I have to talk about how scary it is to write for Disney. <laughs> because you know, by virtue of where that song happens in the movie, this is going on the playlist with Reflection from Mulan, Part of Your World, out there from Hunchback, I just can't wait to be king, into the unknown. It's an intimidating <laughs> list. And no the pressure. hardest part is actually getting that out of your head. Again, I was writing how far I'll go on the heels of Frozen, <laughs> the most successful animated movie in the history of the universe. So it took me so long just to shake the shadow of it in my own mind and in my own fear. And it finally unlocked when I 
literally went to my parents' house, locked myself in my childhood bedroom, and was like, all right, 16-year-old me, <laughs> like, we gotta go back and we gotta hash this out and find the words for where Moana's at. And I had to go back to where I was when I was 16 years old to find it. And I think it has a little of that secret sauce in it, and I think that's why it seems to resonate the way it does, because it's about, it's about a little girl who, not a little girl, it's about a young woman who, it's not that she hates where she's from and she needs to get out. It's not downtown from Little Shop of Horrors, someone show me a way to get out of here. It's, I love where I'm from, I love my family, and yet mm -hmm. I have this voice inside me that is telling me this. So now what do I do? It's actually much <laughs> thornier and trickier. And, and, and as a result, because it's that much more specific, I think it resonates with people in a different way. Speaking of uh, composers that you can sing entire scores of, Alan Menken has talked about how much he's loved collaborating with you. He also revealed that, you know, as you did, that you were such a fan of The Little Mermaid. When you were a kid, he signed something for you. Can you talk about that? Yes, it's embarrassing. But I will tell you, because he probably already told you. His niece, Jenny Schneier, went to my elementary school. And again, I was jumping on top of the table, singing Under the Sea in fourth grade. She's a year older than me in fifth grade. And when I found out that Alan Menken's niece went to my school, I accosted her and I kissed her feet. And I said, please, please, can I have your uncle's autograph? Please, please. And about a week later, um, she gave me a post-it note that said, to Lynn from Alan Menken, P.S. Stop Kissing Jenny's Feet. <laughs> kind of amazing. And um, I live and to tell the tale and work with him anyway, despite that. Now you're collaborating with him. He said he thought you felt like you were trying to walk in the footsteps of Howard a bit. Can you talk about that experience? Absolutely. I, I, I'm just so, at nine I was inspired. At 41, I continue to be inspired by Howard's incredible work and collaboration with Alan. My involvement with the live-action Little Mermaid really consists of me being the president of the Don't Mess It Up committee. Um, <laughs> you know, to that end, there's not we're not cutting songs from the Little Mermaid. Those are my favorite songs, you know. But we did look for opportunities where there were opportunities for songs in this new incarnation that maybe didn't exist in the 88-minute original, and it was scary. It, it, it's scary to work with Alan, not because he is scary, he could not be more lovely and inviting, you guys have talked to him, you know, but he's so fast with melody, and anyone who's worked with him will tell you the same thing, he can just sort of sit at a piano, and his doodles are better than any melody you ever heard in your life, and so it was a little sort of who's gonna dance first until we finally got to work. And what was really exciting about that was as soon as I started writing lyrics, he got really excited and spun off into interesting new directions. And so, you know, and that was really, really exciting because he responds to lyric and he responds to, um, and then another thing we did to break the ice was I made playlists. I made him like a mixtape like we were back in high school. I was like, I think the feel of this moment is, and I would just put like three or four pop songs that had nothing to do with Little Mermaid, but this is the feeling that this character wants to express, and here's a, something that's sort of analogous to it in another genre, and he really bounced off those beautifully. And so we sort of found our way into working together and, you know, to be handed an Alan Menken melody and then find, the, and talk about crossword puzzle work, uh, and to set words to that is really, 
it's humbling. And uh, wow. I think the way in which Howard Ashman was sort of a legacy I wanted to live up to is I think Howard is the king and crown prince of the conversational lyric. I can't believe how part of your world is constructed in that the entire time she's trying to find the words for what these things are, what's a mm -hmm. fire and why does it, what's the word burn, is maybe yes. the greatest lyric ever written. My favorite lyric in Beauty and the Beast is, it's my favorite part because you'll see mm -hmm. that she interrupts her own train of thought because she's so excited to mm -hmm. share this with you. That wow. makes well, you love her. Well, we know you're a huge Disney fan, and because of that, we've reached our lightning round, Disney favorites. First thing that comes to mind, answer only, no explanation. Our okay. only rule for you is you can't select a project that you've worked on, so oh, that that's is a little limiting. <laughs> so, favorite Disney animated movie? Little Mermaid. Favorite Disney live action movie? Mary Poppins. Favorite Disney character not from Encanto? Sebastian the Crab. Favorite Disney song? Belle. Ooh, love that. Ooh. A favorite Disney Parks attraction? The cars. The Cars ride. Ooh, radio It starts so slow, and then it really scares your kid when it goes yes. fast. Yes. Uh, favorite Disney Parks snack? Churros. Ooh, good choice. And last but certainly not least, favorite Disney memory? My favorite Disney memory is taking my kids to Disneyland when I was lucky enough to be the narrator for the Christmas oh. uh, spectacular. Oh, candlelight. And yes. candlelight and watching how proud my son was of me. He had huge mini ears on so I would spot him in the crowd. But it was also super past his bedtime so I also watched those ears slowly wilt as he fell asleep <laughs> during the candlelight. <laughs> That's my favorite Disney memory of all time. Uh, Lynn, Amazing. sorry, we, I felt like we rushed through the end, but you're you're such a great storyteller. Thank you so much, and congratulations on Encanto, Little Mermaid, essentially everything that we're watching, period, <laughs> and listen to. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks, yes. and thanks thank for putting so Bluey much. on Disney Plus too. I know you guys don't directly make that, but that's like my kid's <laughs> new favorite jam. Amazing, <laughs> thank you. Awesome, thanks. I can't think of a better way to kick off Thanksgiving weekend than with Lin-Manuel Miranda and Stephanie Beatrice. They were awesome. So many great milestones in her life celebrated at Disneyland. Lin-Manuel Miranda's fan geeking out with Alan Menken and almost, you know, being borderline stalker genius. So I hope everyone has seen Encanto. I now may have seen it twice. I love it. Plus at Destination D23, anyone who saw it saw the fabulous Di Capella sing one of the songs live there. Incredible. Well, thank you again for listening to D23 Inside Disney. Please don't forget to like and share this episode wherever you listen or subscribe. And of course, if you want to chat with us or just me, since it's me today, hashtag D23 Inside Disney. And those of you who do that know I answer. For all the latest Disney info, check out D23.com. We will be back next week with more news and a fantastic guest and hopefully Sherry and Tony on an all new episode of D23 Inside Disney. Thank you all for listening and have a happy and wonderful Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving.